Hey everyone, this is Angie. And this is Jay. Today, we're officially halfway through our first season, which is so incredible to say. That's crazy, eh? Even even just like six, seven months ago, this was just an idea. And now we're like halfway through our first season. Halfway we're recording through. second seasons. And like in meetings, you even said that we're recording our third season. Like, oh, that's something for the third season. I'm like, holy crap. What right? It's like six months down the line. Yeah, this has been just wildly above both of our expectations in every single dimension totally and and i think one one way that we wanted to kind of structure this episode is to share a little bit of our thought process as we started this specifically related to how we tested this and wanted and like asked our friends and mentors to kind of come on the podcast speak with them about their own asian american identity work and the confluence of the two and and share with friends and honestly see if people resonated with it and, and I think it, it's it's going to be really fun to be able to highlight some of their stories, share who they are, uh, share how they've impacted us personally, but also for this podcast. Um, so I'm really, I'm really stoked to do this, Angie. Yeah, likewise, Jay, really, really stoked for this episode. And I'm just reflecting, and we don't really have that many opportunities where we just riff together like this. So I think this will be a really fun episode for us both. Yeah. It, yeah. it, I, I don't know about you, but I definitely feel a little bit insecure about it because usually we're just interviewing other guests. Right, and, and they all have like amazing things to say. <laughs> yeah, it's, it makes me a little bit nervous, but I'm also excited to do it with you. So like Jay said, we're thinking of this more of as a, a throwback episode, really, to highlight some of the journey that we've gone through building this thing together and also some of the challenges, <laughs> of which there are quite a few, Jay, that we can talk through. What challenges? I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Those? No, it's just... <laughs> piece of cake of course <laughs> yeah but most importantly really pay homage as well to some of the people who are there to to really cheerlead us through this journey from the very beginning it feels so hard to believe that we kicked this off just six months ago jay and this mm-hmm. was over a conversation on zoom where we were riffing on the idea of asian american representation and leadership mm-hmm. and out of that sprung this idea of what if we explored this idea and so many other conversations that are necessary to have around the Asian American experience at work through some sort of podcast or some sort of interactive medium? Mm-hmm. And we had a hypothesis back then that this would be something that would really resonate with not only us, but folks who are in our friend groups who we work with. And that hypothesis has been really just... <laughs> surprisingly and honestly like heartwarmingly galvanized by some of the early feedback that we've gotten and it's been amazing to see how the content that we're putting out there has been really striking a chord with (laughs) both guests and listeners and that really shows us that there is a real need for conversations like that Mm -hmm. in the Asian American experience totally and and one thing that I've been really surprised with was is like how many people are saying yes to come onto the podcast. Oh my gosh. Coming coming from a sales background and and like having experiences where I've had to go like door to door and, and just get like rejected. I think my mentality coming into any experience or any project is is like expect like a certain level of rejection. And over here it, it's it's been a really um surprising and 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 really positive reaction with guests wanting to come onto the podcast. And and just to add on that a little bit, I think I think it's also trying to be as like open and vulnerable is really important and something Mm -hmm. that we'll touch on later in this in this episode with some of our early guests and mentors and friends that we brought on is I think we set a tone really early of being like really vulnerable and really open with our own stories with our own lives but then also encouraging guests to do the same And, and I think what's happened is as more guests come on they obviously will go listen to 
other episodes and they'll see that, wow, like, you know, Robbie was really vulnerable when he was talking about these experiences or, you know, uh, Deb was sharing some really authentic moments of her life. And it's kind of just build on it from there. Yeah. Jay, like the key point here that you're bringing up, that I think is so important is this underpinning of vulnerability, authenticity, openness. And that's really one of the key pillars that we started building this podcast around because we so strongly believe that through humanizing these people who have incredible accomplishments, that's how you inspire the next generation to be able to see themselves in these leaders, right? You don't do that through KPIs and through business strategy. You do that through openness and vulnerability. Yeah, Angie, you're totally right. Vulnerability is, is extremely important for this podcast and is extremely important for me. I think some of our own moments building this podcast, we're going through pretty some some pretty vulnerable moments ourselves, and mm-hmm. and kind of talking about you know what are the skill sets that that I bring and what are the skill sets that you bring and how can we work together on on this project mm-hmm. and and like one idea that I I've I've shared with you and I've talked to some friends about um, with building this with you specifically, Angie, is this idea of you know. You, you, you hear this idea of like intellectually, um, you should be working with people that are, have different skill sets or that are different yeah. from you. Like complementary skill sets, right? Complementary skill sets, diverse yeah. backgrounds, et cetera. Like you, you hear those things and it's extremely important. And that's kind of what we've done together for the two of us. But I don't, what I don't hear that much is like some of the tension that then arises because you have such different mm-hmm. forms of thinking and, and you have such different ways that you've gotten to where you are today and where you hope to go in the future. And so honestly, there were some, there were some like, like tensions and, and like discussions that we, you and I would have that we would be thinking about things very differently. And, yeah. and, I and Jay, think, what's the way you think about things versus like the way <laughs> I think about things in your opinion? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Putting me on the spot, which is totally fair. Cause I just brought this up. I think, I think what, what I really want to hone in on is like some things give us more energy than others. And, and because some things give us more energy than others, they provide us, we want to work on them. And then we maybe we get better at those skills. For example, I'm not that good at being organized. I, I'm, it's hard for me to keep things in, in process and make sure things are running efficiently because it, it doesn't provide me energy. And then therefore, is it something that I've worked on that much? And it's only now something that I'm developing skills in through work and through working on this podcast. Um, but that's something that I really, I've never really worked with someone like yourself who is so organized and, and can think so strategically, can, can think so operationally. Um, and so, and so that's, that, that's one of those things, I think. And I guess for me, what gives me energy is a lot of it, a lot of it is like ideating and then also bringing people around those ideas. And so, and so I would, I would end up coming up, Angie, a lot of the times coming, coming in really hot with all these different ideas. And you're like, Hey, like you've already <laughs> said all these different things. What is a priority? When are we going to be doing this? When is it going to be on the roadmap? And I'm like, Holy shit. Like that's, that, that's a really good point. And I wasn't really even thinking about that before. Um, and so I think that that was kind of what I was reflecting on um, recently. And, and, it, and, and this idea of vulnerability, right. It really set the foundation for our working relationship because we were able to just be really, and we still are able to be very vulnerable with each other, share like our own insecurities and why like things are triggering us or not triggering us um, and be open with like these things that we're good at or not good at. Yeah, it's, it's so funny, right? Cause the whole process of building this podcast together is so reflective of one of the core tenets that we believe in for the podcast, which is that personal and professional are so inextricably intertwined. They really are one and the same. And your habits, who you are as a person, how you operate as a human being is so manifested in how you operate at work. 
And I think it's so funny, Jay, how like we saw this come into come into fruition when we're working together. Because to your point, like, yeah, I, I definitely am the kind of person who's like, here this like crazy chaos. Let's structure it and get shit done. And you're very much like, oh my gosh, Angie, I'm so excited about this idea. Or like, whoa, look who just like reacted to our episode. And I'm like, all right, all right. <laughs> <Never down. laughs> Calm down. <laughs> Calm down. But I think on that note, Jay, like something that working together and building this together has helped me curate is this muscle of sharing my ideas more and, and not being afraid to like ask for help. I think like the way I work is very focused, but also sometimes I am hesitant to put myself out there. And I think just the way that you do that and you sell yourself, you sell your ideas, you sell the podcast for us is inspiring for me to also do more of the same and integrate that into not just the work for the podcast, but also in life. So it's, it's really been a complimentary journey of building this together, albeit the road bumps that come along with working with someone who, you know, whose skill sets are very different from yours. But I think that's why, that's why it works. Mm-hmm. And that throws us back to the very beginnings of all this, where totally. Jay, I think you have a really good story about this around how our different working styles really manifested, especially at the beginning of trying to kick this whole thing off. Do you want to tell us about that? Totally. I think on on this point of different skill sets and different energies, uh, one thing that right from the very beginning uh, that happened, which was a little bit divergent in our thinking, which was how do we start this thing? Um, For yourself, it was, again, like, let's be very conscious about what our strategy is, who we're bringing on, what the themes are, what the narratives are. And for me, I was like, Angie, by next week, we need to launch a podcast. We need to bring on a guest, launch a podcast, and then start getting feedback. We need to put something (laughs) out there because... Because in, in my own experience, I always have like this bias towards action, even if that action isn't as like well thought through sometimes, <laughs> but it's like, let, let's just put it out there. Let's see how people um, vibe with it. Let's see it. Let, let's actually see if this is worth putting energy into. But we did actually agree to say, hey, we're going to release five episodes over the course of the next like month, which is a really aggressive timeline when you reflect on it. Yeah. And on those five episodes, part of this episode is really to pay homage to some of these earliest supporters of ours who have cheerled us from the very beginning and continue to do so until this day. They're just so incredible. And we really have so much endless gratitude for them and want to give them a shout out in our own little special way. Totally. So when we first started, we turned to our close friends and mentors to get their perspective on how they think about their Asian American identity, their work, and how those two come together. And one of the people who has been there for me through my college years, ever since I was like an angsty lost freshman to even now where I'm still angsty, but a little less lost. <laughs> um, she, her name is Niti and she was a mentor of mine from freshman year at Penn and throughout my college years. She is just so incredibly thoughtful, so articulate. She recently launched her own cookbook. It's called Just Dash. And Jay, talking to Nietzsche was really special for you, right? Because of the thoughts that you've been having over the summer that led us to creating this podcast in the first place too. Speaking to Nietzsche really started to build the foundation for me on how I think about my own Asian American identity. It wasn't, this topic wasn't really honestly something that I started thinking about until 2020's summer with all of the different racial tensions that were happening in the world. Like I finally took a step back myself and started to ask myself, hey, like, how do I feel as an Indian American or Indian Canadian man? How has being an Indian actually supported my growth or maybe hindered things in the workplace or kind of like led to different existential questions that I have? And, and, and Neethi really helped educate me specifically on the model minority myth 
And I like I, I had heard about it, I'd read about it, but something about the way she articulated the idea and, and, and the different negative consequences that come not only to the Asian American community or the Asian community, but to other communities as well was really, really powerful for me. So I think the three things that she highlighted about the model minority myth were one, how it casts Asian Americans as monolith, two, how it creates negative narratives within the community in a sort sort of way. Mm-hmm. Third, how it's used as a wedge against other communities of color. Mm-hmm. But we don't want to take Niti's words. She can explain it a lot better than we can. So here's a snippet of Niti talking about the model minority myth with us. The model minority myth is a term um, that's really used to refer to the idea that Asians are a minority group um, in the U.S. that's been able to attain a certain level of educational and financial success and thus are a model, quote unquote, to aspire to. But I think, you know, when we learned about the model minority myth, we, we talked about a lot of the things that were wrong with it, but I don't know that we necessarily talked about all of them. And so, uh, you know, to me, it's highly problematic for for three reasons. And those reasons affect three different groups. So, so the first one is really, you know, all other Asians, right? Like the model minority myth essentially clumps all Asians together and paints the Asian American community as homogenous and really overlooks serious disparities that are important in understanding the community. So, you know, given what we know about immigration policy, we know that different groups in this country had different starting points in terms of education and wealth. And that has lasting impacts on their success. And so, for example, if you look at, I think it's Bangladeshi Americans versus versus Indian Americans, Bangladeshi Americans in this country have poverty rates that are three to four times higher than that of Indian Americans. And so when we talk about the model minority myth, we essentially erase those groups' particular struggles and, and the historical context around their immigration and generalize sort of greatly about, about Asian Americans as a community, which is highly problematic. And I think, you know, the second big one, so, so beyond just sort of all Asians that are, that are adversely affected from this, it, it also just creates really intense pressure within the Asian community. I'm sure some of you might have felt this, but, you know, you and your f- teachers, your family and your teachers kind of hold you to a standard that if you fail to meet it, you're kind of seen as like deficient or, or unfitting within the community. I know like I've certainly felt that that negative self-image that, that comes along with, you know, not getting the right grade on your math test or your science test or what have you. Um, but I think even more importantly than that, you know, the pressure can lead to serious mental health issues. In the U.S., you know, I read that that Asian American college students have some of the highest rates of attempting suicide versus their other peers, which again is just you know another way that this adversely affects the the Asian American community. And I think you know the last group and, and probably the most uh, important issue with with the myth is that it's been used as a way to perpetuate anti-blackness in America. So the success of Asian Americans is is held up as an example in the myth that you know other groups namely namely black people in this country should strive towards you know it's this idea that if you just you know work harder and you keep your head down like you can achieve this too and i think you know the the myth really you know glosses over the fact that there are fundamental differences in how asians and and african americans were treated in this country and the fact that you know black americans have have faced structures of oppression that we just quite frankly have not and so it not only like minimizes the race struggle for our peers, but it's also just been used as a way to spur interracial tensions, uh, which again, highly problematic when we think about the race dialogue in this country currently. 
We think these points that Nancy highlighted about the model minority myth, and frankly, the reason why we decided to tee off our series of guests with Nietzsche is because the model minority myth is so foundational to a lot of these other conversations. And the model minority myth is really a false societal narrative that is cast on a huge swath of the Asian community by a dominant culture that fails to recognize, as Nietzsche mentioned, the various unique attributes between all these different groups. And because of this broader societal narrative, almost the flip side of the coin to the model minority myth mm -hmm. is this pressure we feel growing up to assimilate, to fit into this broader narrative of what society expects of us. Mm -hmm. And that's why our next guest, Rowan, was so impactful for us. And Jay, he's actually a close mentor of yours. So, yeah, totally. And, and, and thank you for taking that up. And for, you know, Rohan for me is someone who I really like a lot of these different ideas. Like I've thought of Rohan when I think about someone who looks like me, who has similar background to me, who speaks similar languages, whose family like acts really similarly. He's also um, a, a Punjabi Indian, um, grew up in Canada and America. And so I see a lot of myself and, and who he's become. Um, and, and one thing that, you know, we spoke about in the podcast, Angie, was this idea of, um, you know, assimil assimilation versus just fully being yourself to the different systems and different, you know, corporate structures that um, folks can exist in. And so, and so I'll, I'll, again, I'll let Rohan kind of speak to his own point about this idea of the game and, and, and what are the different nuances of, you know, how you choose if you want to play the game or play your own game. And in a really inspiring way, how he's now launched his own career counseling service to teach others how to play their own game to succeed in their own ways. So here's Rohan. So to give a little bit of context of what the game is and what it means to change the game, the game is kind of what I mentioned before. At the early stages and the outset of my professional career in college, which are the kind of established networks of influence, of relationships that enable people of certain backgrounds or people who don't have a certain background, who don't fit a certain pattern of went to the right school or play the right sports in college or in the right frat or sorority to then have access to the upper echelons of society and make an impact, right? So I, I think I played that game. I tried to, the best I could, right? Join this Indian frat thing, getting an internship at LinkedIn, turning that internship into a full-time role by hard work, but also all of the, the pieces, you know, fell in the right place. A decade later, now I'm in a position where I've got a window of time in my own career where I can take a bet on myself. And that bet comes in the form of taking a step away from the corporate world and establishing a business. And so in as much as I'm looking to kind of change the game, it's to help coach people from different cultures, different genders, ethnic backgrounds, et cetera, that may not necessarily be what the fabric of business culture is made of today, but will certainly add to that tapestry. I think that's something that's very important to me personally. So, you know, this idea of like playing your own game is, is something that, again, Angie and I have been thinking about ourselves a lot in our own like professional and personal lives, but also something that our, another one of our guests, um, one that uh, Angie's actually really close with, um, her name is Jane. So Jane is a friend of mine from school. Um, she, I think she graduated like three or four years ahead of us, but She's mm -hmm. always been someone who I've thought of as incredibly thoughtful, incredibly kind, just stands in her own voice and her own power unabashedly and unapologetically. 
And I'm sure because of these traits and many others, she actually started to manage her own team at Uber, which is incredible for someone, you know, only like a few years out of school. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely challenges to that of age of being someone who doesn't really fit the archetype of what quote unquote leadership looks like, but by being vulnerable and embracing her own style that wasn't really in line with the common narrative of leadership. That's how Jane actually found her key to success. So here's Jane speaking about that. People manager prototype or stereotype that you think about, you know, if I like reflect back on my career, all of my managers have been white males. So I've never even had a manager who wasn't white and wasn't male. So I definitely think me being a manager, probably my style is pretty different from what you would think of um, when you think about like a stereotypical manager. But I like really just try to be as authentic as possible and like as upfront with people as possible. You know, like if I didn't know an answer, I, I don't know, but I will try to figure it out and I will help you through it as, as, as best as I can. And I think when you're authentic and when you really, when like people can, people can like call BS, right? So like people can tell when you actually care and people can tell when you don't and you're just <laughs> giving them lip service. I like was actually very authentic with trying my very best. Um, and I think that came through. Read a book that my previous manager had recommended me. Um, it's called Radical Candor by Kim, Kim Scott, I want to say. Yeah. And it's, it's just this whole idea of like, people think of work as you need to have another face and you need to like always put your best foot forward, but there's nothing wrong with being vulnerable sometimes. And there's nothing wrong with just being honest with people. And when you are honest with people, you're able to like establish and create relationships that are on a deeper, more personal level, in which case you're actually able to work together better. So it's a win-win situation. And I think that really resonated with me when I was going through that transition myself. Something that I am really proud of and I really do try to create a culture around on my team is this culture and like this pillar around trust. When I had my first, I think my first two manager surveys, like I had like a hundred percent rating on trust that like really resonated with me as, as, as something of like, you know, maybe I don't have everything down perfect, but if people trust me, then they're willing to work with me through my problems as well. And there's nothing wrong with that. And, and again, as you can tell with Jane's story, she was being really authentic. She was being really vulnerable. And, and that's something that has resonated with another one of our early guests and, and someone who, again, is, is very close um, and near, near and dear to me, um, both professionally and personally. Um, her name is Kathy. Um, she's actually my manager. She is, is one of the most um, thoughtful folks when it comes to like any concepts related to A, her Asian American identity, B, just like racial tensions generally. She was sharing a lot of different resources and books and educational materials. Um, outside of that, you know, Kathy has been someone who's been extremely vulnerable, which is a theme that we've been speaking about a lot in this episode. And so, you know, one of the most, um, I think, vulnerable that Kathy could have been, um, she shared live on the podcast itself, which was this idea of losing her parents. And, and how that helped her identify why she was doing what she was doing. And, and also, you know, just to highlight like what it's like to build resilience and, and, and to show how you can actually work through loss. So I really appreciate Kathy. Um, she's already left a huge impact on my own life. And um, I'm excited for her to share a little bit more about um, what that loss meant for her, but also how she's been able to work through it. So as I mentioned that my parents were scientists by day, but my father was actually a very passionate day trader. If um, he was obsessed with tracking the stock market, he actually opened a brokerage account for me the day I was born. And 
one of my earliest conversations with him was about the magic of interest and how you always use money to make more money. That, that was what I was raised on. And so for me, the longtime narrative I had with my finances was I need to get a good job to make a lot of money, to invest it, to make more money. And that um, changed for me pretty completely in my mid-20s. My best friend in college, Erica, died of breast cancer at that time. And um, to be clear, that was not my first experience with loss. Um, my mom died in college of breast cancer as well. And But I think when you lose someone who's your age, it, it's different. And I think her death made me stop and think about my life on a really in a really profound way. And it was out of that season where I started to think about, you know, what do I believe in? Like, what am I living for? Um, and if I were to die tomorrow, how would I feel about how I spent my time and energy? Is it really aligned with my values? What are my values? I don't even really know. Um, and so it was a season of very deep introspection for me. One of the many reasons I admire Kathy and Jay clearly does as well, I think it's a really special relationship that they have, is because of her ability to be so honest and also just show so much resilience through loss. I think that's something that's so inspiring about her. And someone else who talked about resilience with us was Billy. Billy is a coworker of ours and he's grown honestly to be someone I really look up to. He works with some of our largest clients at LinkedIn on some of their most strategic problems. And on the side of that, which is a full-time job in itself, honestly, he leads LinkedIn's Asian American Alliance. One of the things we talked about with Billy was this idea of resilience and how it's a weight you carry around with you, even though you've learned to process a lot of the experiences that you've gone through. And moreover, how a lot of minorities and people of color bear the weight of being resilient, especially in the workplace. So... Here's Billy sharing a bit about his experience. This is a, a consistent pattern, and I think it happens to anyone who has a challenging to pronounce last name or first name. And, and so I think uh, this has happened to me many times. And um, this one particular incident was painful because of the way my name was pronounced, it made it sound funny. And it, the, the, that leader did not have that intention to do that. Um, but it was just really horrifying in that moment because of the virtual environment that we're in. And so I just got inundated with all these messages uh, of people LOLing and laughing about just how the name was pronounced. And so I, in that particular moment, I just do what I've always done, you know, like you just roll with the punches and you laugh along. Um, but then in that moment, I think I, I realized I am to make a change and a difference, especially in this organization. Um, I need to bring some accountability to that. And at the very least, let the leader know what they did and the impact that it had. And so on that last part, I use that framework to address, to give the feedback directly to, to the leader. This is the impact, but this is the reason why it's important. And the reason is that if you don't know who Asian people are, if you don't know their names, if you don't know who they, what they look like, then you'll never be able to make decisions about leaders and their careers in the rooms that those people are not in. And that's the most important lesson. So something that really hit home from Billy's conversation was this idea that only by taking up space and standing up against situations even though they might seem minute, is the only way that we as a community and as a collective can make headway 
against some of these often unconscious and systemic challenges that we face as Asian Americans. And this idea of like taking up space and standing up against situations that are unjust is something that uh, the team here at Across the Lines, Angie, myself, and also Ankita, shout out Ankita. Ankita. Um, <laughs> she's been amazing with us. But one thing, one thing that has happened over the past few weeks, we're recording this, um, you know, at the end of February, um, is is the resurgence of violence against Asian Americans, um, specifically senior Asian Americans um, in the United States. And and this was a good lesson from Billy. You know, we we because we're speaking a lot about these different issues also had a point to make and, and had, a, had to find a different voice um, to share and an opinion to share about these different issues. And I think this is where our pillar around personal and professional being intertwined is so important because we've had these conversations with various leaders through a professional lens, right? We want to understand who they are as people. And we're starting to see how a lot of the themes that we're talking about in this podcast, be it the model minority myth, vulnerability, um, assimilation, resilience gives us the vocabulary, gives us the understanding to be able to speak out against injustices because only through understanding the model minority myth can we understand the undercurrent of why this violence is occurring. Only through being vulnerable can we put our voices out there and take a stand against what's happening. And only through being comfortable taking up space, sharing our voices, and not feeling the need to assimilate, can we make sure our voices are heard and that action is taken? And, and on your point, Angie, this is why we're, I don't know about you, but I feel even more inspired to be working towards this vision of mm-hmm. being able to empower Pan-Asian American leaders um, in the workforce and for them to speak about their personal lives and professional lives is because this platform matters and, and, and a platform like this matters and being able to share these stories matters. Ideally, like, you know, and and this is core to me, like, we're all going through very similar experiences. Um, It's important to humanize one another. And if we can do that, we can connect Mm -hmm. with each other. Yeah, absolutely. So inspired and simultaneously just so grateful, Jade, to be bringing on some of these incredible folks, to be having the opportunity to showcase your stories. And simultaneously, also through these hard conversations, being able to empower the leaders of tomorrow. I completely agree, Angie. And and this has been a lot of fun. Maybe we should do this again. Let's get some feedback from our listeners to see if they actually enjoy hearing us only instead of our guests. Reiterate. Yep. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're testing, right? We got to get things out. But, you know, I just wanted to wrap up by saying, um, I, we're, again, we're really excited about this. Really, really, really special shout out to Neethi, Jane, Kathy, Rohan, Billy, who have set the foundation for this project. And have been so supportive for us to continue to work towards this, have been introducing us to guests, sharing different ideas and concepts for us to speak about with other guests on the podcast. Thank you so much for your support. And listeners, like, thank you so much for also tuning in. Thanks, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to Cross the Lines with your hosts, Angie and Jay. If you enjoyed today's conversation about the intersection of work and Asian American identity, Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to spread the word. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, you can head over to acrossthelinespodcast.com to learn more about the show, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. That's all for this episode, folks. See you next time.